But to understand the state of, of a fan, wherever they are, in real time, is the holy grail. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have John Flynn, Director of Data and AI for Microsoft Sports. And in that role, he's dedicated to bringing new and exciting capabilities to life across the Microsoft Sports business. So working with teams, leagues, uh, and everything in between. Uh, in this role, he helps existing and new clients harness the power of their data, apply innovative ways of delivering competitive advantage across all sports disciplines, both the front and the back office, on-field and off-field, Previously, John held leadership positions at Apple, Tibco, and IBM, and provides advisory services to many innovative startups in the technology space. Uh, great to have John joining us. Uh, we've previously had Mike Downey from Microsoft talking about their AI initiatives and their uh, partnership with the NBA, uh, and then it's great to have John on the show to flesh out some of those things that were announced last year and see how they've been put into practice. Thanks again for joining us on Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. John Flynn, Director of Data and AI at Microsoft Sports. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Hey, Thomas. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. So today we're going to talk, as your job title would suggest, all about uh, data or data. As I say to every single guest that comes on, I have about four different ways of pronouncing data, data. I won't pick one. I won't be consistent. It'll jump all over the place. But data, artificial intelligence, that's what we're talking about. And what are some some examples of implementation of, of actually putting data to work in sports teams and leagues uh, that you can speak to recently? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a voluminous one as well. So data, data, um, whichever way we want to call it, is being implemented in a few ways. So specifically the way that I'm working with, with the teams and leagues in pro sports on data is on two sides of the fence. There's really the, the product that's on the field. Right. So how do we use data to ensure that we have the best product on the field at any given moment? So how are we inferring scouting decisions? How are we putting the best possible product on the field that will give us the desired result? And that's a continuous process. It's not just at the beginning of a season or in the trade or by the trade deadlines, et cetera. That's something that if we have a gap or if we have a if we have a performance issue, for example, how do we fill that? So that's a continuous, almost think of it as a data feed that is self-prophesizing on how do we perpetually get better. Um, and then there's also individual player analytics being run or an analyses being run continuously on the data that they produce, right? So every single time they're on the field, whether it's a, a game, whether it's a practice session or whether it's a training session, they're producing data, right? And that data yeah. is then analyzed into how am I as a player performing against the benchmarks on what is expected of me to be performing at. So a lot of that is being implemented at the team level. Um, and then on the other side of the fence, you've got a, um, a an operations focus on the data is how do we put the product on the field, right? How do we keep the product on the field? And that's very fan focused. Right. In order to keep the business going, we need to have an audience. In order to have an audience, we need to have a product that's known. We need to get our brand out there. We need to be able to connect with a fan that understands me as, as say, John as a, as a fan of a particular team versus just a blanket. Well, he must be in, in, a fan of this team because he's in a region. So it is, it is such a voluminous um, um, an area, Thomas, because there is really no end to it. And one of the beautiful things that we get to do or I get to do in my day job is that we think of new ways of doing things with data, 
right? Because if you have a piece of data and you add another piece and layer on one, two, three, four, five, six pieces of data to it, you've created something new. And how you agitate that into an insight or into an action or into an outcome may be completely unique or maybe just a little bit better than you had before, which gives you a better outcome. So it's it, the beautiful thing is it's almost like the Six Sigma request. Uh, Six Sigma requests have gone for perfect. You're never going to get there, right? But you never stop trying. And the data won't let you stop trying because it just keeps coming in. So in terms of Microsoft's role and, and the stuff that you're working on, it's it's aggregating all these different data inputs from all these different sources, whether that's when you think about a player, it could be um, a GPS or an LPS unit measuring their speed, their position on the field. It could be something to do with physiologically, whether it's their heart rate or, or whatever else, putting that together and, and getting a picture of what's happening there. And then off the field, it would be what it Ticket like how many how many data points can you then draw in, use machine learning, artificial intelligence, and spit out insights? Can you give us some examples of what that actually what data points you can actually pull in um, specifically for for off the field? Yeah, sure. So let's let's look at how off the field goes with with a with a with a fan engagement, which is something which is super hot around the teams right now. Um, and around the leagues, because as we're coming out of COVID, where we had no product um, on the field, then we had product on the field without any fans on the on the um, on the field with them. People got used to consuming their sports at home or in a venue that wasn't live per se, right? So now that people can come back, why would they, right? So the the lines are shorter for the bathrooms at home and the beer is colder and cheaper, the joke that goes with it, right? So why would people come back to the stadiums? What is that differentiating experience that they get that they're no longer getting at home? But bear in mind, they've become used to being fed a lot of information at home. That has to sustain itself as well. So how do you marry both of those worlds together? So in terms of data points, there are, there are extremely almost infinite number of data sources that come in for any given team that they need to correlate and analyze. Now, typically what we found is that data comes in and it would be very siloed and it would be very singular in its application, right? So we would get ticketing data, for example, to a team. So they'd understand how many fans are coming into a stadium, but they want to understand who was coming into a stadium. So if we could take that ticketing data and marry it with point of entry data and maybe CCTV or maybe um, facial recognition, because some people are doing contactless entry into their stadiums, and they can see that, that John Flynn bought four tickets and he is a, a, a certain demographic in a certain area, but when he shows up, he's got three children with him, right? So if I am now blanket marketing out to the demographic of me, I've missed the audience as the team because I brought three children with me. So how do I then start building up this profile of John Flynn, the fan? If I have just ticketing data in a single database that I'm performing analysis on, I have no access to that data, right? So as soon as we start building and we can get down to the boring stuff like data, data warehouses and data lakes and all that. I mean, because that's essentially what it is, but getting all the data into a single usable source that you can then build composite feeds upon and build composite insights on. So I know when I'm in the seat, I know that I'm a season ticket holder. I can see he's in the seat, but he's not wearing a jersey. 
Why, why is he not wearing a jersey? Does does he not have a jersey? I don't know. Well, let's marry up the merchandising data that we're getting from external sources, from internal the stadium, and also from our own fan applications. He's buying the, the merchandise, but he's buying it three sizes smaller than he looks on the camera. Guess what? He's buying it for the kids. Yeah. Not buying it for himself. So we want, and he's, he's a season ticket holder. He's got great seats. He's been season ticket for 10, 10 years. He's going to be on TV. Let's get him a shirt. Let's get him a jersey because he's going to be representing the team. Let's get that for him. So those are the types of layers of, of capabilities I was talking about earlier when you start stacking these data sources together. And that's what we're seeing at the teams. They're moving away from this very singular approach to each data feed into each unique silo that has its own team just in, interested in that to now building out these data warehouses and data lakes and, and hiring analysts. Right, hiring analysts to go in and do a holistic view of how do we affect change? Is it increasing revenue? Is it increasing fan engagement? Is it increasing food and beverage options at a game because we know a particular visiting team is coming and let's have something that is indicative of that team for their location because it's fun. People will buy more, so it's a better experience. That's what we're seeing and that's what we're planning to implement today. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, and so the example there about um, seeing someone on, on cameras, and I, I think that would, for a lot of fans and, and people listening, would go, "Hang on, how am I how am I going to be tracked on a camera like that?" I think it's um, it's worth mentioning. It's some of those fees are from third parties like um, so FanCam that we had um, uh, uh, Tynus. We interviewed him on the podcast in person, no less, two years ago, back in the world before <laughs> COVID. Um, but, but they de-identify the data and all that kind of stuff, but they use high-resolution um, uh, photography to map the fan, you know. As you said, who's wearing a jersey, who's looking at their phone, where are people sitting? And if you can, if you can marry up all those data sources, you can learn more about um, your fan. And it's not, I guess it's not just the super high-tech stuff like uh, high-resolution photography. It can be as simple as, you know, looking at the analysis of someone, John Flynn buys four tickets. What time game slots is he going to? Again, if he's using some sort of loyalty card that that's there, what are his food and beverage choices? Is he buying four beers or is he buying, you know, one beer and then, you know, kids meals, things like that. Like, so if you yep. send an offer for them, you're not going to say, here's an offer for a, a Friday night game and, um, and, you know, a bunch of beer because your, your eight-year-old's probably not quite ready for that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's that, it's the nuanced approach and the, I guess, doesn't always have to be high-tech. It can be very cool because it's high-tech, but it's more just taking the information that is coming there from lots of different ways and um, and really listening to what it's telling you, I guess, is, is how I personally kind of make sense of, of data analytics is, it's asking the right questions and then listening to the answers. Correct. Correct. I mean, one of the things I, I'm a firm believer on is that all of the answers exist. We just have to figure out how to get better at asking the data sets the right questions, right? So we're actually getting smarter. The data exists, so the answers are in there. We, we have to find the keys to unlock it. And the example that you gave is 100% is, is relevant and something that was actually just announced by the NBA um, in partnership with us on exactly that, right? If I have, I'm going to a, to a basketball game with my children, don't offer me three large t-shirts and three large beers, right? Because you've missed, right? So that's in play today. 
um, at the league level as well as the team level. So it's something, I think one of the most, it's, I've been on record saying that it's never been a more exciting time to be a sports fan because the sports industry as a whole is become acutely aware that it's a very customer focused lifestyle oriented entity at this point. Right. Um, so I think data is feeding that because in order to retain my eyeballs, give me something I like. Hmm. And is that, I mean, sports has traditionally been fairly slow to embrace technology and generally digitization. I, I equate it to the music industry in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s. Sports having it, is having its moment around that um, in terms of digital transformation revolution, if you really want to kind of put a pointy end to it. But um, in the same way that I don't want to be told how I consume and what I consume, I want to be able to do that on my own terms. The next ex- extension of that is personalization. Is I want you know I want Spotify to then actually spit back things that I like, and I feed it. I feed you know I feel feed the algorithm, and then it comes back with things I like. And you see that across social media and everything else. Um, why is that? That sports have been reticent to embrace that. Is it is it that fans are, don't want change within it, and they're kind of, or is it is the sports team? kind of where number one might try harder or a mixture of both what's what's brought us to this to this point yeah it's a great question and and again i'll go back to the two sides of that coin right this product and then there's the business of it um and if you think about sports in general i mean sports is fan driven right um, and why do you change? Because you either need to keep, keep your revenues or grow your revenues or stop losing revenues, right? That's why I would do a, a digital transformation. But sports is very, very different than, than any other industry because let's take the example of, of stickiness to a brand, right? Um, it is unparalleled. So look at the New York Yankees. They have fans of the team and fans of the players. Derek Jeter arguably one of the most popular New York Yankees that has ever been, spent his whole career with the New York Yankees, retired, retired his number. He retired, his final season gone. The next season started up, guess what? Sold out every single seat in the, in the, uh, in the um, um, arena. So Yankee Stadium's full. Derek Jeter isn't there. They didn't do anything different. They just put product back on the field, right? I think the way that we see the modernization here is like the same, same with Tom Brady. He left the Pats, but guess what? Start of the season, Gillette Stadium is full, <laughs> right? So your star players go, and yes, they pick up some, some, new, um, some new fans if they go to somewhere else, but that stickiness of that brand is so enviable that is, is, is hardly replaced I and mean, is hardly um, um, replaced anywhere else in the world if you think in, in any other industry if you think about yeah the, the closest you get is lifestyle brands you know uh, i wear nike and and maybe car brands as well like you know i i drive a ford or i drive a whatever you know insert maybe so yeah. there but nothing is close you know i'm not like i'm not no. related to my cleaning products or exactly or whatever right. else yeah my yep. favorite snacks you know but if, <laughs> if something else yep. was tastier i'm gonna go to that as well yeah yeah it's true i mean look everyone everyone loves the new electric vehicles but if there was something disastrous to happen people would start buying them right but guess what if the the yankees don't make the playoffs people aren't going to stop watching them they're going to come back next season so it it's it's very it's, it's an enviable position but i think in terms of of having to adopt technology 
I think we're, we're, we're turning a corner, and you're very much right, Thomas, is that they, they were laggard and they were slow. And the reason I say worse, because I don't believe they are anymore. If you look at the advances in technology on the player side of the house, that is player performance, player health, player wellness, that has come on leaps and bounds, and that is breakneck picks. Right? If you think about what they're doing with sensors now on helmets, if you think about what they're doing sensors on cricket bats and things like that, is to make sure that when you have a player on the field, keep them on the field and keep them in the most pristine condition to perform at the highest possible performance level that then in turn becomes an, a fan thrilling experience, right? So they put a lot of effort into that. And frankly, a lot of that goes unseen just to the, to the common sports fan because it isn't something that is publicized because it is competitive advantage, right? So we do a lot of work with teams um, that, is, that is under lock and key because they put so much science as well as, as data behind the decisions that they're making on player health and player wellness and player fitness that it is part of their, their competitive advantage of why this team always performs great. Because if you think about a training regime, it's, it's grown from, from chalkboards to whiteboards to computers to now being inferred by AI and, and, and assistance on, on the top of that, right? So that happened in the space of 50 years. That's very quick. Right. We went from two guys in the chalkboard to now saying, what is, the, what is the algorithm telling me at this point that I should be doing in real time tweaking X, Y, Z. So in 10 weeks time, we don't have an ACL problem with this player. We got into that predictive state, right? So I think that happened very, very fast. Now, on the flip side of that, getting to what we were saying earlier, people are always going to come back to the stadiums, right? And, and we've seen now as stadiums have opened 10%, 20% now full capacity, they sold out every night and they still sell out every night because <clears throat> there's one thing that data can't fix or data can't um, prevent, it can only make it better, is that personal interaction of being at a game, game day, regardless of the sport, whether it's a diamond, a court, a field, a track, people love being there because you cannot replace the intensity of emotion. You can't replace that roar of the crowd when something happens or the boo of the crowd when something doesn't happen that it's supposed to. You could do that by yourself at home and I do it. And then I go to the stadium to start different experiences, right? So I think the next tranche of what we're going to see is if we can get some of that into the home through maybe augmented reality, mm. when we're seeing some of that, then we're going to start seeing maybe a little bit more of a meteoric shift towards um, how do we, engage the fans more at the stadium to keep coming them to the stadium to keep them coming to the stadium but it's a it's an incredible time to be a fan because most of the money that is being poured into sports teams on the business side is to entertain us and to make sure that we are still yeah. entertained as fans yeah yeah no it's interesting your point around you know chalkboards whiteboards computers or tablets you know yep. uh, and then to to where we are now in cloud computing and, and everything else. Uh, and then you look at sports on the kind of the, the fan experience side, um, paper tickets, you know, paper tickets hasn't, they added a barcode and then there was a barcode for a long time and some of them would still rip your ticket and scan your barcode. Um, and then now we're at the point where mobile ticketing is becoming the norm and that's, you know, it's taken a global pandemic to really, I guess, completely flip the switch on that uh but as you said it's yeah it, it's slower on that side but now it's moving very quickly and i think your point around 
you can't replicate or at the moment you can't fully replicate the in-stadium experience but the point as well is a lot of people just don't have the opportunity to do that a lot of people don't necessarily can't afford it is one thing is a big thing um then also in when you have global uh fandom can't travel to wherever the stadium is uh maybe one trip to you know say that you've done it but then you can't do that as a regular thing so it's going right well how do you engage these fans how do you monetize them and, and to your point things around potentially around augmented reality um all that kind of stuff but i think it, it starts at a very basic level with understanding who your fans are and yeah. where they are. so if you understand this is the, the the group at home well who is that what do they look like how can we make sure they, they're still kitted out in, in merchandise, you know, drive revenue in that respect and all that kind of stuff? That's exactly right, Thomas. And how do you engage them, right? I mean, so just because they're at home, but so COVID gave us something spectacular. The pandemic gave us something spectacular in regards to how we engage people who aren't in the room. So the second screen became the first screen for a lot of, for a lot of reasons, right? So if I'm looking at my mobile phone and I have a fan app, I can be engaged with the fan and with the team at home. I can post selfies and I can do hashtag XYZ to be entered into competitions, to be put on a, an, an official team's feed so I can get a social uh, like or whatever it is. Um, that has to remain, right? Because just because people are going back to the stadium, you can't treat the people at home like second-class citizens, right? They are just as important as the people who are in the stands right now. And having these second screens is that lifeline to that fan from the team, regardless of where they are, whether they're at, I'm sitting in New York watching Manchester City or Everton, whoever it may be. How am I connected to them? It's the app, right? That's how they talk to me and that's how I talk to them. And that's where that, that, that real fan engagement piece is taking off right now because I don't want to be on a mailing list, right? I, I don't want a blanket email that's saying, me, hey, Manchester City's playing Manchester United. It's a derby. It's the greatest thing on the world. Well, I already know that because I'm a fan. What are you going to give me in America, right? What, what, how can I engage with this? Because I may or may not have a TV channel or subscribe to a TV channel or online service or an OTT service that, can, that I can watch it in real time. But I still want that experience. I want to know the scores. I want to know the ups and downs. Who's the injury? Who's in the crowd? All that kind of thing. And the, the mobile devices have given us that lifeline. And there's been so much investment from the team level across every single discipline, Thomas, into that fan app. Um, and the, the number of providers that are, 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 are providing OTT services, that are providing social services, that are providing merchandising tie-in to these mobile apps have made it such a rich experience as well. And, and you can take that with you to the stadium. So it's not a one or the other thing, right? So if I'm in a seat and they know that I'm in a seat because I bought the ticket or I've, or I've scanned my ticket and I'm in there, and if, and if there's a pivotal moment in the game, I can tweet about it or I can put something on Instagram or I can put something out on Facebook, but you can feed me what to do because I don't want to take your attention away from the game. So notify me of if you tweet this and it's got pre-populated hashtags for me. And if you take a picture of this over here and tweet it right now, you'll be in a competition. Boom. You've got automatic engagement, right? So all of a sudden your game of, of 60, 80,000 people, depending where you are, has gone global and the, and the engagements increase and the engagements increase and your followers are seeing it. And their followers are seeing it. And they were interacting with it and the brand gets bigger and bigger and bigger that way. So I think we're seeing the culmination of the two coming together, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
What's the, I mean, what are some of the issues with implementing all these solutions? So you said that you don't think that sports are behind behind the eight ball, so to speak, um, with innovation, technology, data at the moment. What, if, if we take that as true and that sports are kind of up to date, what are still the, the roadblocks or the things slowing you down? I think it comes down to, to budget and priority, right? Um, so sports teams, again, I keep talking about the two sides of the house, right? This product, which is funded one way, and then there's a business, which is funded a different way. And um, the budgets are very, very different, right? They're, they're starkly different, in fact. Um, so just because you, you have a big brand or even a, 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 a smaller market team that has a brand associated with it doesn't mean you have endless budgets, right? Doesn't mean you have hundreds of people working in a technology or in a business or in an analytics staff capacity that can help you do these things. A lot of the teams are constrained by budget and just not having the amount of people to scale to get all the things that they want to do in a preseason because they've got a small window to do it. During the season, right, the, the, the games are on, let's, let's not mess around too much with stuff. So you almost see like a code freeze thing or we'll do things then, then they get implemented postseason. But the biggest problem is that we see it on a day-to-day -day basis and we have conversations with these multiple disciplines every single day. The desire and want is there, Thomas, but much like any other industry, right, you have to have the budget allocated for that if it's not pre-allocated, where do we get it from? You have the same conversations. Um, and if I give you this spend, what's it going to get me, right? What's my return on investment? And does it marry up with the priorities I have as a team, right? So team ownership and team management have a, have a very, very acute awareness of what they need to do year over year over year. And how do they get that? And how, do the, how does the technology team affect those goals in a positive manner, right? So the, it's it's... In that regard, we start getting back into the normalcy of, of other, other ind industries, right? Where it's, do I have the budget? Do I have the people to do it? And um, a lot of the time, it, it's just as constrained as, as, as anyone else would be. Yeah. So, and that's, that's an interesting point to, to make because I think sometimes fans can get frustrated and things aren't moving and then you've got to think, well, as you said, it's a business like anything else, uh, yep. industry like anything else, um, moving parts and... Um, and budgets to me. So kind of towards towards the end of our conversation now, and I want to end on a, a, a really forward-thinking note. So what for you is is on the horizon as the next big thing in sports technology, data, digital? Where's, where's the next step that we're going to take um, from this, this stage of personalization? Is it just getting more data sources in, in a better way, getting algorithms that are more... Um, on the money, is that where it's going? I think in the immediate term, sure, there'll be more of that, Thomas, right? Because I think there's still, a, there's still we're, we're not up the, up the curve. We're not completely at the point where we have saturated that across all the teams and all the disciplines right now. So there will be some, and teams will move at different speeds, right? Um, and disciplines move at different speeds. You've got cricket, which is very different from F1. Right, you've got Major League Soccer, which is very different from Major League Rugby. So they do run at different speeds, but towards a common goal. I think the thing that interests me, and, and I've been I've been having a couple of conversations, a lot of conversations around multiple um, leagues around this, is that bringing multiple data sources in, putting them in a, a singular accessible unit, whatever that is of your flavor, right? And then doing something nice with it. How do we how do we start rationalizing the amount of steps that's needed in that, 
right? So from a fan perspective, I'm sitting in the seat. I got there somehow. I had to transact to get there. I had to drive or take public transportation or get a carpool or walk, whatever it is. Everywhere I go, there's data. Much like on the field, everything a player does is a data stream. Everything I do as a fan should be a data stream. I should be a feed of data that goes in. And you should be able to, with everything opted in and anonymized so you don't encroach on my privacy and you don't, we don't get Orwellian, right, on this kind of thing. But you should know as a fan what I'm going to do as I'm doing it versus historical data. This is what they did. So this is what we should do next time to get a little bit better. I think we're going to have as real time as possible a, a complete picture of how a fan is interacting with the product and how to make those tweaks on the fly to make it better in the moment, regardless of whether I'm at home or regardless of whether I'm in a stadium. And I think that is, I mean, it's, it's a lofty goal. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, but to understand the state of, of a fan, wherever they are in real time is the Holy grail, because then I know how to, how to interact with you as a team, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I mean, the, the personalization, the, the individuality of it, but in real time. So it's not, yeah. a, it's not your best guess that based on historical data, it's actually going well in this moment, in this time, then, then you can, you can serve them correctly. Great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that, I, mean, I think that, sorry, I didn't drive you. I mean, I think that one of the things that every team I support, I think that, that I'm the biggest fan. Yeah. Right? I mean, of course, that there's no bigger fan than XYZ team than me because I'm it. And I, and I want to be treated that way. Right? I don't want to be treated different if I'm in the nosebleeds versus if I'm in the very expensive seats behind home plate or if I'm at home who, who is watching on a TV or watching on an OTT service. I want the same experience because guess what? No matter where I am, circumstantially, I may be XYZ venue. I'm your biggest fan. Treat me like that. Yeah, it's a it's a one sided love affair sometimes. Um, <laughs> Very much. Yeah, but it's but it but it is true. Like everyone in their own mind's eyes is that their their passion for their team, and that's what it is. It's a very emotional connection that that goes beyond that. And then, um, and that's one of the joys as well of working in sports is trying to find ways to to rationalize it without killing it. So um, to to rationalize it and and maybe not control it, but at least harness it uh, a little bit and and uh, point it in the right direction. So. Final, final question for you. Uh, John, and thanks so much for your time. What is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Um, that's, that's an easy one for me. It's 1995. It's when uh, South Africa was allowed back into the World Cup. We were recognised on the global stage. We held the World Cup. We were against New Zealand in the dying moments. We had the, uh, the conversion that took us off to, uh, from nobodies to the world champions. And it was... It was um, Obviously, the Invictus moment sort of immortalized it for everyone else who wasn't there. But that moment in time in South Africa, watching that, I, I was not at the game, um, but we were in a. I lived in a in a farming community, and and we had a, a whole bunch of people in a in the community came to a uh, a local hall, and uh, there must have been about a hundred of us there, and the noise is still deafening in our ears, and it was just one of the most pivotal, exciting moments that. That I don't think I've ever experienced again. I've experienced multiple phenomenal experiences on, on in sports and that, but that one moment just 
It made everything possible, right? From that moment forward, being a South African, like anything is possible in the entire world because we've just beaten the New Zealand All Blacks in a game that they just dominated for years. And guess what? We're on top of the world and we're going to stay that way. We've had some ebbs and flows, but we're still a damn good rugby team, man. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that as a moment. And as you said, the Invictus Invictus thing has memorialized that and kind of immortalized that for uh, yeah. years to come. So there's there's obviously the film, Morgan Freeman and um, Matt Damming doing their best South African impression <laughs> accents. It feels like accents, impressions, probably attempt, attempt, attempts, attempts <laughs> maybe is the, is the better word. But yeah, incredible, um, incredible moment. Well, thanks so much for your time, John. I really appreciate having you on the on the show, and looking forward to seeing the everything that Microsoft's uh, implementing, uh, especially over the next season and then years to come. Yeah, uh, watch this space, Thomas. Right, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming at, at both the product and at the uh, at the business level as well across teams and the league. So, again, thank you very much for the invite. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I hope to get to do it again soon, mate. There you have it. That was John Flynn, Director of Data and AI at Microsoft Sports, uh, talking about all the amazing ways that data and uh, analytics are, are coming together to really improve the fan experience, fan engagement, but then everything that's happening on the field as well. So I th- feel like I get the sense in terms of what's been talked about and, and maybe some stuff that John, John talked about that we only got the tip of the iceberg there. So it'll be interesting to see how those innovative use cases then become part of just the ingrained DNA uh, of sports and the sporting experience. So definitely going to happen, I think, fairly quick in terms of adoption and and how that moves forwards. And I think the next two years is is probably going to be the last kind of five years, six years condensed, condensed down. So interesting space to watch. And thanks for John for being on Sports Tech Feed, Global Sports Technology Podcast. (laughs) 